Hi, welcome back to Monocycle, a podcast by Man Repeller hosted by Leandra Medine. In this week's episode of Monocycle, I wanted to spend some time talking about breast cancer awareness and Estee Lauder enlisted me earlier this month as a spokesperson for the company, presumably because I carry this gene called the BRCA1 gene, which is a genetic mutation that predisposes me to breast and ovarian cancer. This week, we actually have a friend of Man Repeller who was diagnosed with breast cancer when she was 21, is that right? Yes, that is. Her name is Alyssa Vingen. She's the executive editor at Fashionista, and she's sitting right next to me and the sound booth. Hi, Alyssa. <laughs> it's very high-tech, isn't it? Yeah, it's kind of cushy in here. I like it. Yeah. So you were diagnosed with breast cancer when you were 21. Yes, I was a second-semester senior in college, and it's a big light at the end of the tunnel. I was at Tulane in New Orleans, so... It's going to be a really cushy six months for me until all of a sudden it wasn't. How did you find it? I found a small lump in my breast during a hot yoga class. Um, and when I would lay on my stomach for some of the positions, it would hurt. Um, and I figured it was just swelling from my period or something like that, um, which is what my father, who was a doctor, told me it probably was. Um, but then it got more and more painful and the lump got more and more noticeable um, to myself and to others, like my boyfriend, my husband now, but my boyfriend at the time, he could you know, see it through my skin. And then we figured it was time to go to the real doctor, the breast surgeon. Mm -hmm. um, and this happened during my Christmas break senior year. I went back home to Virginia, and I didn't go back to New Orleans after that. It was, it was over. <laughs> Do you remember how you felt when you found out? Um, my mom and I like to say that we kind of blacked out. Like, I remember being at the doctor, and I remember waiting, and I remember my phone going off and me just ignoring it, and... I remember the doctor telling me that it was definitely cancer, even though we had just done a biopsy and I wouldn't have the results for a few days. Um, and then we don't remember getting in the car. We don't remember the immediate aftermath. Um, I kind of remember getting to my house, sitting in the living room, and my family dog kind of knew something was up. She, like, jumped on my lap. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it would, yeah, I, there's no words really. It didn't feel real. Um, it still kind of doesn't. And then in the couple of days waiting for the results, even though we all just accepted that it was what it was, um, there was a lot of crying, a lot of not leaving bed, a lot of screaming, cursing, etc. Um, but then, we dealt with it, you know? It was kind of a blessing that my dad is a doctor because we got through the system really quickly. Like, I didn't have to wait for testing and all of that stuff. So, um... That's such a blessing. It really was. Uh, so I got, you know, 
CT, MRI, all of that um, in the days leading up to Christmas. My family's Jewish, luckily, so we didn't, we don't have this like looming doom feeling every Christmas. And to make a long story short, we found out it hadn't spread past, you know, where it was. Um, it was stage two, but it hadn't spread to the lymph nodes or any other parts of my body. Um, so we just kind of went with the most aggressive treatment we could. I did chemo. Um, no radiation, and then I had a bilateral mastectomy um, all within the course of a year. A bilateral mastectomy is both breasts? Yes. Okay. I told my boyfriend, and he was living in New York City at the time, and he drove down immediately um, to be with me, and he would, you know, drop me off at chemo, and he would stay with me. Um, I don't know. It, the people who I really wanted to know, I told immediately, and then everybody else I kind of waited until after, like when I was an intern at Fashionista right after my surgery and everything, I wrote about what it was like to have just moved to New York and have a buzz cut, which was not cool or trendy at the time. Right. I probably looked a little weird to people. Um, but that, besides that, I mean, I speak for everybody in my family when I say that you see which relationships are true. Yeah. Um, you see how people deal with tragedy. You see people's true colors come out. And some people can't handle this type of stress and they fall out of your life. They don't know how to react. So in its ways it had upsides, but generally I try to black it out as much as possible. You know, I remember once I went to chemo with my mom, my dad and my mom and my boyfriend then, husband now, John, shout out John. <laughs> um, we would kind of take turns because some of the chemo sessions would be three hours. Yeah. Um, so I remember sitting there with my mom one time and <laughs> we brought like a laptop and we're just watching 30 Rock and just cracking up. And we looked at each other and we felt like such assholes because we were laughing hysterically in a room full of cancer patients. But, you know, like you said, I got an extra six months living at home being babied by my parents. And while it seemed like a regression in a way for someone who's so independent, who wanted to leave home, who wanted to get out on her own, I would never have gotten that extra time with my family. Right. Um, and you know, the lows were really low. Like one time, I don't know why I'm giggling right now, but one time I went to chemo and literally that same day, my mom had to go to the vet and put my dog to sleep. So yeah. it's, yeah, it was, it got really dark sometimes and I know it affected both of my parents and John and ways that I'll probably never know. Um, it's definitely affected me in ways that I probably can't vocalize here properly. Yeah. But um, yeah, and if I had to say there was an upside, it was just that extra time and kind of learning who in your life is really important and there for you. Um, because for six-ish months, my life kind of revolved around staying alive and my social life and my people, I guess, were my nurse, Tina, and my doctor, Michael Danzo, and these people who just became like a network that I counted on 
both socially and for my well-being. So, um, and they're both still in my life and I care about and love them very much. So yeah, there, there are definitely upsides in there, but sometimes they're hard to find. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. I can understand that. Mm -hmm. I guess it's my inclination to always try and find it, but some, when the going gets really tough, it's just tough. Mm-hmm. But so I think a common, not misconception, but a common thought around illness as a friend is that you kind of don't know what to do. So can, do you recall any friends responding like particularly well? Um, my family home in Virginia somewhere, there's a giant Ziploc bag filled with just notes that people would send handwritten some people I hadn't seen since I was a child and you know they were family friends um that was really sweet just seeing an outpouring of love from people even on the furthest periphery of my life just that really brightened some bad days just looking through those notes and being like oh people really do care um some friends you know even though they were busy at school, they would make sure to text me if they knew I was having chemo or whatever and just checking on me. And Mm -hmm. I remember the day of, I guess the day after my surgery, I forget how many hours it lasted, but I just sent out a group text um, saying I was out of surgery, I was okay. And just everyone kind of getting in the conversation and being happy about it, that really warmed my heart. I I don't think anybody acted or reacted badly. I would say it was more of like a not knowing what to do, so doing nothing. Right. Um, and I would say just the littlest token or the littlest outreach is sometimes all you need to do. Um, yeah, I I'm not really sure what I would have wanted otherwise because I was in that weird part of life where I didn't have really any friends left at home because everyone was in college. Mm-hmm. Um, so besides just having more like social plans, maybe, yeah, I would say if you know somebody who is sick going through something, ask them to dinner, ask them to a movie, just do something easy because they probably don't have a lot of energy, but sitting on a couch and watching TV with somebody is so much better than doing it alone. Um, and I, yeah, I just remember being so lonely a lot. Um, there wasn't anyone who understood what I was going through or could fathom it really. Uh, so that's what I would say. Just put an invitation out there if they don't accept it don't be offended. Maybe they are feeling sick or they had a particularly bad round of chemo. But, you know, I remember a girlfriend of mine coming over because she went to school nearby and she drove down and we ordered a pizza and ate it in my bed and watched TV. And it was just the little things like that, just not being alone. And I feel like you feel like you're living your life. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of people just, I mean, that's such a simple thing, right? But people probably just don't think. Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to give this person, like, a couple of hours of companionship, and that's the best thing. And I really, I don't want to say I regret not trying to do that more, 
But um, that's what I would advise anybody maybe going through this on either side of the coin. Like, just put a hand out there and try not to isolate yourself from the situation. Um, because yeah, it would have been nice to have some more memories from that time rather than just like, yeah. It being a six to eight month stretch of like living at home. Of Kardashian reruns. Of Card- oh God, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> um, why did you decide to start vocalizing? I feel like when I stopped wearing my wig and I was walking around New York City as a fashionista.com intern, uh, almost bald, uh, I felt like, okay, I'm, I'm visibly, something's up, right? Like I probably didn't shave my head this short for fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember pitching to my editors, writing a post about um, just what it felt like. And I think the reason, the reason I did it was because Agnes Dean had um, shaved her head before Coachella and she looked really cool, but I was getting weird looks, like no one thought I looked cool. Um, so I lo- wrote a little personal essay about that. Um, yeah, and I, I never felt like a embarrassment or anything. Um, and it was just something that came naturally to write about and talk about. Um, and I was going through that, you know, mastectomy phase where <laughs> I don't know how graphic I can get on this podcast, but um, basically (laughs) when you get your implants, you have to get them gradually Mm -hmm. inflated or filled (laughs) up rather. So uh, I went from having like completely nothing to having like D-size breasts. Were you quite large before? Yeah, I was, I had a 34D. And then, you know, I wanted to go smaller, but the doctor says you have to fill the space, so you can't... Yeah, I had the biggest implants they had. <laughs> Great. Um, so, yeah, there was just kind of a lot still happening, um, and it felt good to talk about it, I guess. Get a little bit off my chest. Not... <laughs> no pun intended. Um, well, and there's often such a, a shame around the conversation, right? And the minute you share your story, it's no longer just your story, and that cuts the shame with a knife. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I also felt like a little bit of responsibility just because, like I said, I didn't carry the gene. This was a total bad luck freak thing that happened to me. Um, I wanted people to know this could happen to you, yeah. and if you know something is up with your body, tell somebody, Mm -hmm. because nobody knows your body better than you do. Um, But yeah, I I feel like there's certain things that I still haven't dealt with that I'm working on. Yeah. You know, the PTSD side of things. Um, Like I said, sometimes it doesn't even feel like it really happened. But, um, Do you feel a weird chill around October because it's so explicitly Breast Cancer Awareness you know, Month? You know, I don't, and I think there's been such good reporting. Like when I was at Marie Claire, um, Leah Goldman wrote this big package on the big business of breast cancer, and it was just such a good deep dive into the marketing scheme behind it. 
And for a while, it was annoying. Like, my mom and I would go to the grocery store, and you couldn't even get eggs or yogurt without there being a ribbon on it. But, you know, it it's kind of... Pa- I'm past that now. I don't really pay much attention. Um, I give back in my own ways. When I, One day when I'm, you know, have enough to, like, donate sizably, like, I know where it's going to go. Yeah. Things like that. That seems like the very, very important thing here. Mm-hmm. And it, it makes someone who can't quite donate feel really helpless. But mm-hmm. the amount of money that's being funneled into research and the advances we've made because of that money is so humbling and incredible. Mm-hmm. My breast specialist always says to me, and it's, it's something that I remind myself constantly every time I'm giving myself a self-check, that if you play by the rules, you don't die from breast cancer. Mm-hmm. And I think that's such a strong sentiment. And for someone who has identified herself as like a medicine hater, who prefers the holistic and natural path 10 out of 10 times, mm-hmm. just even seeing my dad go through the doors of Memorial Sloan Kettering and come out on the other side when he had stage three colon cancer. I, I'm, it's, it's a miracle. These doctors are fucking angels. It's true. And science behind it is no joke. It's it's so interesting too, you know, like if you educate yourself about what's going on in your body and what the chemo is actually doing, um, it's crazy. And I am not a math and science person at all. Yeah. And I was fascinated by it. And, you know, it's getting more and more advanced all of the time. You know, it's, it's not a death sentence at all you feel something's off and you get it checked out early even if you think you're being paranoid like it could be the thing that saves you you know if I would have waited another six months to tell somebody I was in pain it it probably would have been I don't want to say too late but at least not I my prognosis would not have been as good as it was from the get-go right so for someone who wants to get involved is sort of in the spirit of the month, can't necessarily donate, but just wants to do something, what do you feel like is the best route? That's a good question. Aside from straight donation, you know, I, I think educating yourself is really important. Yeah. And I know that's probably a non-answer here, but I just think that the, oh, this is the kind of thing that happens to somebody else mentality is very real. And it, you know, doesn't always happen to somebody else. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of great organizations out there, obviously. The Breast Cancer Research Foundation and there's this uh, Look Good, Feel Better program, which is really great. I know so many beauty companies donate product and teaching women who don't have eyebrows and don't have eyelashes and don't have hair how to beautify themselves. Uh, That was invaluable to me. Just not looking sick because I didn't feel sick most of the time, but I certainly looked it. So what Um, did you do? (laughs) Well, I got really good at applying false eyelashes Mm -hmm. and drawing in my, what was left of my eyebrows. Um, Got a wig, got a couple wigs, which really expensive, yeah. by the way. I got really good at self-tanning because when my skin had a little glow, I just feel like, I, you know, I look like myself. Yeah, absolutely. Which is half the battle, I think. 
I, I think in these moments is exactly when you realize that it is not trivial to care for yourself. It, it's the difference between night and day, in and out, happy yeah. and sad. It's really true. Like, I, I really didn't leave the house a lot, and I keep saying this, <laughs> but it's the truth, just because I knew how I looked, and I didn't want to freak people out, and I know that's such a dumb thing. No, it's not. But... It's your experience. Oh my god, I felt like an alien or a zombie or something. Um, but yeah, educating yourself about which organizations are legitimate. Also, just take care of yourself. And yeah. also, don't listen to what people tell you. If people tell you cancer doesn't hurt, don't listen to them. Or if people tell you, oh, that's nothing, you don't need to go get it checked out, don't necessarily listen to them. You have to listen to your body. Err on the side of overcautious. Oh my gosh, yes. And I know that there are reasons why doctors don't want women getting mastectomies before a certain age because, yes, there are false positives and things that can freak you out. But if I hadn't gotten one, I might not be sitting here right now, not trying to be morbid. Right. Um, yeah, I would just say listen to your body, know yourself, don't be scared to make a phone call. Worst case scenario, you're being a little bit paranoid. But um, it's nice to have that safety blanket of like, okay, at least we know I'm still okay. Yeah. And we'll never not get it I checked out. I think that sentiment of do what it takes to make yourself feel good and protect yourself and just whether you're on the receiving end or the giving end to show a hand to wave a flag is really really important yeah i think that's great advice mm -hmm. thank you so much for coming on thanks for having me signing off malcolm gladwell just kidding <laughs> it's leandra <laughs>